This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. It's episode 21, and this week we have a scientist with us. Our first scientist, I think. Possibly our first proper scientist. We have with us today Lewis Dartnell. I am a researcher at University College London. And the science I do is a new field called astrobiology. It's all about looking for life beyond Earth. So what I do is hunt for aliens. That's so cool. As a field of science, it's very, very new and fresh. We don't really know where to go looking, looking for, the, for extraterrestrial life, life beyond Earth. So we're trying to work out what it might be like and how to recognise it. and trying to think of what, where might be the most likely places um, beyond the Earth that could have evolved life. So mm. we're talking about places like Mars and Europa, one of the moons of Jupiter. But... Mm. It's, like I say, it's still very much an open field. We're trying to kind of work out how best to go about about it as a science. So did I see that you were working on some Arctic microbes or something? Arctic bugs. Thing? Yeah. Yeah, so if, uh, if you're trying to work out what could survive on somewhere, a, a very extreme environment like the surface of Mars, mm. where it's very, very cold and very, very dry, you look to similar places on the surface of Earth and see what can survive there and what kind of survival strategies they use. Mm. So one of the coldest, driest places on the whole surface of the planet is in Antarctica, in what are known as the Dry Valleys regions, um, where it's, it's a desert, it's a freeze-dried desert, incredibly cold, and there's no plant life and no animal life that can survive in, in this, this place on Earth at all. And they, these dry valleys, when they were first explored and first discovered, were, were thought to be completely sterile. They, they couldn't see any life there at all. But it's only when you start kind of digging around underground in the kind of dry, gravelly soil, or more to the point when you start cracking open the rocks in, these, in this dry valley here, mm. That's where you find the life. You find mini microbial ecosystems living inside the rocks where they're protecting themselves from the incredibly cold, drying winds and the, the kind of ultraviolet radiation from the sun. Um, so studying that kind of life is a very good insight to, to how life on Mars might be able to survive, i.e. inside Martian rocks. We've never found a single example yet of extraterrestrial life. So as a, as a science, saying that I'm an astrobiologist and I research any life... Is a little bit of a cheat because we haven't haven't found any yet. Exactly, exactly. Kind of looking for that kind of stuff and trying to work out how to find, how to recognise it in the first place. But by studying these these most extreme forms of life on Earth, we know how things can survive very nasty environments, and we'll go looking in that way on a place like Mars or Europa or Titan, as I'm saying as well. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of you know testing our theories and and our our instruments, our robots, and how we might look for life, and, and hopefully one day, hopefully not too distant future find something on another world and maybe bring it back to Earth mm. and then be able to study it closely, see ways that this life might be similar to us or perhaps most excitingly, how alien life would be different from us, how it's built in a fundamentally different way to us. Mm. Am I right in thinking Europa is the moon uh, with the methane atmosphere? So Europa is a, one of the moons of Jupiter. This mm. is an ice world, but beneath the frozen ice shell of Jupiter... We think there's an alien ocean there, a hundred kilometres deep ocean with, with more liquid water in it than all of the seas and lakes and rivers and oceans of the whole of the Earth combined. And this is thought to be one of the most likely abodes, potential abodes for, for alien life beyond the Earth. The place with the methane atmosphere is Titan, oh, which is the moon, moon of Saturn, Saturn oh. rather than Jupiter. But, but Titan is even colder than Europa. And actually the geography of, of Titan, the hills and the rocks that we can see, are made up of ice. And the, the liquid we see on Titan, the, the lakes and the rivers and the drizzle and the rain clouds we see, they made out of liquid methane rather than liquid water. So it's got all the very active processes going on, mm. very similar to the Earth, um, but it's all based on liquid methane rather than liquid water. So it'd be really interested to find out 
if life can ever be based on, on liquid methane rather than liquid water as, mm-hmm. as a solvent, titanic life, methane-based life, will have to be very different from us in terms of the molecules it's built out of. Mm-hmm. So things that, that make up all life on Earth, like DNA that we use to store information or proteins that we use to do jobs in ourselves, mm-hmm. those molecules just simply wouldn't work. The problem with our kind of life in methane is it's so very cold that the molecules we're built out of would just essentially freeze solid. There's not enough... You know, kind of thermal energy to get our molecules to jiggle around and, and run the processes of life. So you'd have to use different chemistry that would run at a much slower rate in liquid methane at something like, like minus 180 degrees Celsius. And in particular, things like DNA, they wouldn't dissolve in methane. They dissolve when in water, but not methane. So you, our kind of life just wouldn't work. You'd have to build life from scratch using a very different design um, to, to get life to work in, in, in Titan. Um, but looking at places like Mars and Europa, life could be pretty terrestrial could be pretty earth-like mm. because it would it would similarly be carbon-based and water-based so finding life on earth uh, so, sorry finding life on titan europa would be really interesting because we'd expect it to be pretty similar to us but there might not be any reason to expect it be completely identical it might not be t- uh, dna based or protein based it might use a slightly different molecule it might use a slightly different genetic code so finding this life and then discovering what it's like and taking it apart if you like looking under the bonnet this alien cell and seeing how it works would be incredibly interesting as a biologist and it would also tell us an incredible amount about ourselves about our own origins and how we've evolved over long periods of time using a, another example to compare ourselves against I'm in computers I'm in the mainframe I'm in your headphones well, let, let's suppose that there is an Earth-like planet somewhere out there and our galaxy, and it's provided the right kind of environment for billions of years for complex life like us to evolve. What might you expect an alien to look like? Um, there is an article in BBC Focus magazine this month where I, I discuss that. Oh, right. um, so you can pick up that from newsstands and read it. Um, but the idea here is that actually a lot of, of evolution in terrestrial biology might be um, pre-predictable. It might happen time after time after time, either if you were to rerun the videotape, or you say DVD nowadays, the DVD of, of evolution on Earth, mm. or if it were to have got started on another planet. So things like sight and being able to see are a really good way of not being caught and eaten. So you might expect vision and eyes to rise again and again. Things like lungs are a really good way of extracting oxygen out of the atmosphere. Guts are good ways of getting nutrients out of your food. Mm. So certain aspects of an animal's body might be universal. But the big question is how many of these aspects of the human body plan might be universal. So certainly things like mouth, teeth, lungs, gut, heart, veins, skeleton to hold us upright and stop our body bodies being crushed and giving our muscles something to work against. But probably not things like two arms and two legs. It might be much more of an accident that all of the vertebrates or the kind of land um, mammals and amphibians um, on earth have descended from a tetrapod ancestor it just so happened that the ancestor that gave rise to all of us had four limbs it could quite as easily have crawled out the o- of the oceans with six six limbs three pairs of, of lobe fins as a fish so we could all be kind of more insectoid type mm. life forms with four legs and two arms mm. um, so we might expect any life to be uncannily familiar in some respects it probably blinked back at us with very human-like eyes and kind of maybe smile with a, with a mouth at the front but it might wave at us with kind of forearms or have different coloured skin or it wouldn't have a face anything like us mm. so things like you know Mr Spock or Chewbacca in sci-fi um, at the end of the day uh, some dude with plasticine stuck to his ears it, it's convenient for the props department mm. but actually alien life might look in, in broad brushstrokes pretty similar to us it might wow. be pretty recognisable 
a lot of the aliens in in TV and, and cinema sci-fi like Predator or E.T. or Chewbacca or Spock or any of them there like I say they're more just so you recognise them and so an actor can fit. Alien, You're right, he is half human, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> the Vulcans are quite human as well, aren't they? Yeah, Vulcans are quite humanoid, but, yeah. but Spock's only half well, The idea in that is that in Star Trek everyone was everyone was conceded from the same same progenitor species. That's why everyone in, in the Star Trek universe looks the same. Mm. But it's basically them trying to fudge their way around. Foreheads. Wrinkled like foreheads of the cheap prosthetics. Yeah. If, if we're looking for kind of primitive life, so microscopic things like bacteria in our solar system, there is a possibility it might be alien enough that we wouldn't recognise it, that we wouldn't spot its chemistry to mm. be biology rather than mm. geochemistry, the kind of chemistry of the rocks of the planet itself. But if we're talking about big, sophisticated, complex animals or intelligent species, we would spot it. I mean, I don't, don't believe in super-intelligent shades of the colour blue or energy-based <laughs> life forms. It would, it would be physical. It would be based in the same universe as us. It would be built out of chemistry and, and you know, it, it'd have to react and respond to things around in exactly the same we would. Mm-hmm. As to whether we'd actually be able to sit down and have a chat with it, there's big questions about whether you'd, you'd have any kind of common ground to converse with an alien on. Mm. I mean, a lot of vocabulary is based on things we see around us and our own experiences and sensations and emotions that, as a human species, we perceive. Who's to know what an alien would motivations they would have? Our neighbouring worlds, that the planets and moons in orbiting our sun, are close enough that we could send robotic probes to go explore, to pick up handfuls of Martian dirt, robotic handfuls of Martian dirt, scoop mm-hmm. it up and analyse it for signs of life, or hopefully in a not-too-distant future to plop some kind of robotic submarine into this alien ocean Europa and try mm-hmm. to sniff out life. And SETI, on the other hand, is listening out for directed communication from intelligent uh, other intelligent civilizations in our galaxy and the middle ground is looking for life or on planets orbiting other stars in our galaxy um, but life that isn't, isn't intelligent mm-hmm. and you can uh, we, we've already got within our technological grasp the ability to read the chemistry of the atmospheres of other planets orbiting distant stars in our galaxy wow. you can do a, a technique called infrared spectroscopy which essentially looks at the, the rainbow of light coming from another planet mm-hmm. orbiting another star and looking at the fingerprints of, of in that reflected light of different molecules and gases in its atmosphere. And so if we can, in the, in the not-too-distant future, find an Earth-like planet in our neck of the woods in the galaxy, in the next generation of space telescopes, we are able to read the chemistry of the air on that planet, and we find things like methane and oxygen, particularly oxygen in its atmosphere. The only real way we can explain that is because life has pumped it there, because photosynthetic organisms like cyanobacterial plants on Earth evolved in this other world and are pumping up oxygen into its atmosphere. So let me just make sure I've understood that. If we detect oxygen or even methane in another planet a very long distance away, we can safely assume that there must be life involved. Not methane itself, okay. because there's a lot of methane on Titan. Mm. We don't, well, that was we don't know example, if, it's, yeah. if it's been put there by life. But the combination of methane and oxygen at the same time is because they're very, very reactive gases when they're mixed together. Mm-hmm. They, they um, react and form carbon dioxide. So it's a very unstable or unbalanced situation to find oxygen and methane in high concentrations in the atmosphere at the same time. The only way you can explain that is because something's producing them both at a very high rate. And quite recently, either, because and, otherwise... And currently, was, otherwise yeah, exactly, right. would have disappeared. Okay. And intriguingly, we have discovered um, plumes of, of methane um, drifting up from the surface of Mars. Mm-hmm. And again, methane would only survive in the Martian atmosphere perhaps 100, 150 years before it's broken down mm. by the, the ultraviolet radiation from the sun. So something is producing that methane today. This was quite recent, wasn't it? I remember it's seeing this It's a big news story in the last couple yeah. of years, yeah. yeah. So it, it could be some kind of 
geothermal activity or kind of volcanic activity. But that itself would be big news because we see no other signs of volcanic activity for millions upon millions of years of Mars. And so some people think the best explanation is very deep, deep organisms beneath the surface of the planet, but beneath the surface of Mars, releasing uh, methane as a kind of side product of their living processes. Mm-hmm. In exactly the same way that much of the methane in Earth's atmosphere is kind of given out as a side product by life. And if that was the case on Mars, any guesses as to what they might be living on, how they would survive underground? Well, and- yeah, they'd be living on exactly the same kind of things that similar organisms on Earth survive on. So the, the class of organ- organisms are called methanogens, or methane-generating uh, organisms, and they kind of munch rocks for breakfast. These, these things are living on Earth, deep, deep down in the crust, kind of kilometres deep underground, and then the solid rock of, of the crust of our planet itself. And they um, essentially kind of munch things like hydrogen and, and give off things like methane as a side product. So they're, they're living off inorganic energy. They're living off the kind of emis- chemistry of the, of the rocks of the planet, um, far from the, the light of the sun. They don't need to survive from sunlight like plants do or us eating plants. And this kind of really extreme life on Earth and the kind of stuff that could survive on Mars is, is independent of that and, and could be living, I say, really deep. in the. It's called the, the deep biosphere of the Earth. It must be snack time. Once again, we spin the globe of around the world in 80 snacks. Our finger lands on the, on the enormous continent of China. Yeah, as it's most likely to. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, oh, we, should, we should thank the person who sent these in. Thanks, Liam. Fantastic. We appreciate all the Chinese stuff that was actually, we've only got a small sample of it here because there was so much that he sent, I couldn't even bring it in. So, like, did he, he arrange for this to be bought in China and then sent to you? He went to China. All oh, right. And before he went, he said, would you guys like some Chinese snacks for you around the world? I'd really like to send you something. And, and we said, yes, please, definitely. And he came back with uh, literally sort of a metres square cube of incredibly heavy snack food he posted when he got back so um, thanks Liam yeah, for carting that yeah nice of you Liam yeah. thank you and if we sound unappreciative in the next few minutes <laughs> it's nothing personal it's no we do. reflection on <laughs> exactly I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be impressed if there's anything I can't eat but let's have a go well yeah so, so um, the, the idea is that we've divided this up into a kind of savoury course and a sweet course purely from what we can what we can uh, gather from the packaging <laughs> because a lot of that is by, is by no means obvious um, so should we look at these these are clearly I was looking at the packet of these there we are nutrition pickled vegetables for students you, you can't you, you can't go wrong with those and they look a little bit like bamboo shoots but on the ingredients on the back it's just simply pickled pickled vegetables so they've taken some pickled vegetables and then and then pickled them oh no they're quite strong he's got straight in there with the, those. That, is this some cabbage it's crunchy it's a little bit like um, pickled jalapeno but it's, it's, not, it's not particularly spicy I'm struggling with the texture. The flavour's alright. I quite like the texture. It's sort of mushroomy. Mmm. It's crunchy. I didn't see you putting it in your mouth. Though. I did. I did. I promise. It's sort um, of. It's not. Like, I mean, essentially, what, what it's a lot like. I, I don't know if you ever order uh, kimchi in um, in sushi restaurants, which is a Japanese pickled vegetable, oh. and often that's the kind of things like pickled cabbage. So I don't like. Well done with the pickled vegetables. It's a slightly spicy bit of warmth in the mouth mm. there. Well, why, don't we, why don't we have one of these things in a little packet here? Now these. We have no information on, and in that they appear to be covered with sesame seeds, and they were twenty-two point twenty of money <laughs> of, of some amount of money. Oh, look, they're quite gelatinous. Yeah. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to chop this open with my little spudgy-like knife. 
Um, oh, and, it, and they're, they're kind of like a a jelly donut with um, with sesame seeds on the outside. So now I'm hoping this this will actually be a kind of. Oh, it looks like a mochi, isn't it, that you get in sushi places? May, maybe, maybe we've accidentally started on a uh, on a dessert course by, purely no. by accident. If this turns out to be Nutella in the middle, but um, <laughs> I it, hope it's not fungus. I hope it's not savoury. Oh, mm-hmm. You take, you take that. And, okay, oh. thank yeah. you. Oh dear. Where's the flavour? Oh, it is like a mochi. Uh, I mean, the only thing it says on the packet here is this is a it is a Martuan, M A space T U A N. It's quite strongly flavoured with sesame seeds. That's what it's covered. I quite like it. I think I, I think we're justified here. In that um, we weren't sure if it was savoury or sweet. Mm. It's turned out to actually be neither. It's just some jelly. It's, it's a texture. Gelatin covered in sesame seeds. It's weird. Um, there, there was another. There was another sort of like or almost dim sum like. Oh, this is quite sturdy. Dave's really struggling to cut this. Look, they're, they're on a stick. Very oh wow! It's like a little kebab. I think it's a kind of. Again, it's kind of slightly brown and cake-like. Grab, grab a piece. Uh, I might, I, like, it looks like, a, for some reason, I get the impression this is compressed fruit. Oh, it does mm. smell fruity. Yeah, I think it's dried fruit. It's dense, brown, cakey stuff with a layer of sort of transparent goo around the outside, which might be sugar. Mm. It's like if, if you took compressed, reconstituted dried dates or, mm. or apricots mm-hmm. all mixed together. Yeah. And then did a toffee apple type type affair with them. It's got some nuts embedded in the outside. Mm. Well, that should have been in our sweet course, but it's uh, it's nice. Yeah, it's called candy hawthorn pine nut taste. It says, and the ingredients are haw h a w. Oh that- look, and maybe this is a picture of the haw fruit there. Is the haw fruit just not an apple? It's a cherry. It's a cherry to me. All right. I bet you it's cherry. Chinese listeners. Hawthorn. <laughs> oh, maybe, but maybe maybe the hawthorn is the um is the berry of the hawthorn. Um, you know, um, well, you know, I'm not advising people to eat them, but maybe well, when they're cooked or, or put on a delicious cocktail <laughs> stick and, and wrapped in a kind of toffee, toffee apple style concoction, um, maybe that's fine. Yeah, it's not, it's not. That's not. That's not unpleasant. I could. I could grow to like those. Yeah, that's good. We're down, we're down to two of what. What might be savoury things? This is just this kind of gelatinous-looking block. That's one I tried. It's awful. It's is it awful. Not, is it not impressive? It, it's like bitter, like pencil shavings or something. Oh, I'm it's, excited it's, now. I don't even know if it's sweet or savoury. It's and it's you know it's too much. <laughs> it's too much just gelatin. Mu- it's just mind-boggling. Oh. Okay, I'm going to try and kind of. It's kind of got the texture of um of damp fudge. It looks like a bar of soap. Mm, it does. It tastes. It is odd. It's it tastes like nothing. But well, no, wait till it does taste of something. Does it, does it kick in? <laughs> Maybe you need a bit more room. A bit like it, it's like it, isn't it? it's 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 like eating a very mild pear. Ima- imagine <laughs> imagine a kind of uh, like rectangular pear See that had been boiled mm. it looks until like it lost pear. all of its flavour mm. and then Maybe made into soap. Maybe it's sugar free. Ah, oh. everything free. Just to, you know, just. If you if you you bought a pair you bought a pear and it wasn't a very tasty pear to, uh, to start off with, and then you left the pear to kind of ripen. It, it didn't ripen; it just sat there. And then you thought, "Oh, I'll just eat this pear. How bad can it be?" And it, and it, and it was. Well, this is that, but just without like without any of the uh, external like uh, features of a pear. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things we'd be looking out for would be um, the organic molecules, that the organics are the building blocks of life as we know it. So although 
you, you can find organics without there being life. We find organics in some of these meteorites from outer space, the space rocks. Some of them are absolutely crammed full of organic molecules. So although you can have organics without life, mm-hmm. you can't, as we know it, have life without organics. So finding organics is a very important first stage, along with finding liquid water on something like Mars. So we would analyse that with our very sensitive chemical detection equipment and then pick out particular organic molecules in there and hopefully look for things like DNA or proteins, which you cannot get unless life has, has made them or produced mm-hmm. them. The reason we're looking for organic-based life on Mars is because Mars is very Earth-like. It would have had liquid water as its, as its fluid mm. and carbon chemistry on, on the surface because it's got the right kind of temperature for, for those kind of conditions. Sure. Um, and the reason that we suspect organic life might be very, very common is, is as I was saying, we find a lot of organic chemistry that is extraterrestrial. Mm. We see organic chemistry in these great big vast clouds of, of gas and dust between the stars. We find space rocks, meteorites, a stuff packed full of organic chemistry. And these would have just been raining down on the young Earth and the Mars and Venus after they just formed and providing the, the raw building blocks um, for life to got started. Mm. But if you're looking at alternatives um, for the building blocks of building life, unlike us, exotic life, mm. people do talk about silicon as, as being alternative, as being another possibility. Because the chemistry of silicon is similar to the chemistry of carbon. It sits beneath carbon on the periodic table. But on Earth-like planets, places like Mars, the chemistry of silicon is just rock. Mm -hmm. The the silicon is actually more common on Earth than carbon is, but it's the rocks, it's the continents, it's it's the mountains. Mm -hmm. Because under under the surface conditions of the Earth, the chemistry of silicon doesn't really work. It doesn't build beautifully big, complex molecules like DNA or protein. Um, it might do. It we might do under very different conditions, under very yeah. high temperatures or high pressures. Mm. Silicon starts coming into its own as, um, as, as a chemical building block. People speculate about there being kind of um, like magma-based life, mm. the, the, the very hot oh, pressure scary. conditions yeah, deep on the earth. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we've never seen any magma dragons coming out or yeah. fossilised... Yeah magma beings and we've not in, got particularly close to them have we really no they're pretty hot we don't go too close to them yeah when you're digging into the, the surface of the earth you don't get that deep before you, you give up because it's too hot it's so you know, melting there's a lot bit. of earth that we haven't explored isn't yeah there? exactly and are those i mean within your field is that is that something that people kind of you know are our minds open to the idea that there could be dragons in the magma or is that, uh, is that not nonsense? so much no really? <laughs> people keep open minds about um silicon-based life mm-hmm. i mean as an astrobiologist when you're really trying to consider alien life and, and how it might be built, how you might be able to find it. You want to keep an open mind so you don't start ignoring possibilities. Mm. On the other hand, you want to keep quite focused. You don't want to you know, just run off after every speculative idea or science fiction possibility. Yeah. So there's a kind of dramatic tension, if you like, between being focused and you're open-minded. And I think it's fair, fair to say that at the moment, it makes most sense to start looking for life that is like us, carbon-based and water-based, on a planet that's like Earth, because we know it works. We know Earth-like planets can support life. We know that water and carbon are good ways of doing it. Perhaps when we found a couple of examples of that kind of life, or we've looked um, quite widely on places like Mars and Europa and found nothing alive, perhaps then we should start broadening and widening the net a bit and looking for silicon-based life or methane-based life on Titan or or further afield. But I think in the outset, you want to hedge your bets a bit and, and look for something that's possibly most likely. And it's easy to start nearby because you can send probes to go and... Exactly. And, and we would know to how to recognise our kind of life. I mean, how on earth, what on earth would the chemistry of a silicon-based being be like? <laughs> Who knows? We talk about, you know, scooping rock up from Mars. What have we done and how far have we gone and, and brought rock back? So is Mars somewhere that we have now samples of, of, 
um, rock that we've captured and, and brought back to Earth? No, the only samples of Mars we have have been delivered to us naturally as right. these Martian meteorites. So we've never brought rock back from Mars? We've done it from the Moon, but never went anywhere Never else. from Mars. Mars is, Mars is a long way away in comparison to the Moon. The Moon's about three days on a, on a rocket ship. Sure. Um, whereas uh, Mars, for, for a human mission to go there, we're about six months out there, year and a half on the surface, waiting for the orbits the two planets line up again, mm-hmm. and then six months back again. Um, well, and it wouldn't necessarily of, have to be human to bring just bring some rocks back. No, we could send a robotic mission there and back, but yeah. you'd have to launch everything from Earth with you. So you'd have to launch a big rocket to send the whole thing up to Mars. You'd have to land it with a rocket on the surface of Mars and then parachutes and things. Mm-hmm. Drive around with some kind of rover to make good decisions about what handfuls of Martian dirt and rocks to bring back, mm. load them into another rocket that you'd sent on Mars, launch that all the way back out of Mars, mm. off Mars, and then all the way back to the Earth. So you've essentially used an enormous amount of your rocket fuel and your mass mm. to go all the way there and back mm. in. So the amount of stuff you can bring back mm. is, is going to be hundreds of grams, if not a kilogram or two. So everything we've done so far has been one way. One way, and we've left our, our robots there once they've kind of died. So, um, and uh, we've saved perhaps the most uh, intriguing uh, till last. Do you have any evidence as to your theory of, of, of what these are? Well, I think Liam said that he was going to send us some duck tongue or duck beak or something, and the picture on the front certainly looks like it might have been extracted from an animal. Of, of all the things um, we have here, these are like, and they're individually wrapped in foil for freshness. Yeah. That they don't they don't have a picture of a, of a duck. Um, no. So we think. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, let's give them the benefit of that. We think these might be the tongues of ducks. <laughs> um, we have a sneaky suspicion. Noted delicacy. Oh god, it looks like something out of the alien. Oh, oh my god! It smells like cat food. It's. I mean, it's quite pungent. Oh, look at your fingers. <laughs> And you can eat them raw, can you? This is, this is a little <laughs> oh, sort of oh, bush, tuck, bush tucker thing <laughs> here. It's difficult to tell. So I'm, I'm, I'm just oh. going to have a little nibble of this. Oh, it's, it's, it's crunchy. It's is got it a, meaty? It's, got it's definitely meat. It's, it's not for vegetarians. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's got bones in it. Good. It's chewy. It's got oh. little sinewy bits hanging oh, off. Oh, the funny thing is, yeah, there's a kind of texture to it. There's a... It looks like it's just been something that's just been skinned and Dave's now eating it. Just the smell. If you bear in mind, if you you know, you're just eating it and you're thinking, oh this is this is a, a little meaty chew or something. Do you think it is for humans? Or is it something it you could give be dog to food. Dog? I think this could be ultra top end dog That would be the first time. There's no um, dog on the front though, is there? There's a sort of character on the front holding a net that looks like it might be a Butterfly you net. might have caught some ducks so. in. Chinese cuisine presumably consumes a lot of ducks. Yeah. And Hugh Fernley Whittingstall would say the only way to show true respect to an animal... Um, <laughs> Pull out its tongue. No, is to eat as much of it as possible. <laughs> so I assume I assume they're dead by the time the ducks are... The, uh, the, the tongues yeah. are removed from our aquatic friends. <laughs> um, you're not... Are you going to try one of these? Yeah, I'm going to try like, one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was going to uh, offer you a piece of no, this. I don't want to... <laughs> you can never get one. Wow, I'm tearing straight into it. This is grease. <coughs> to be honest, I don't eat the tongues of many other animals. I mean, and it's it's quite it's quite strongly flavoured. You know, it's it's got it's been seasoned or something like that. My tip, if you're going to try and consume these, Rue, is don't imagine that don't don't examine the structure too closely. <laughs> <laughs> the shape of it. No, because there's there's kind of shapes in there. There's kind of like little oh. imprints of stuff. Oh, and I don't know. Uh, I don't think I could eat a whole one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
jumping out of Dave's mouth. No, it's the, that, that piece just fell off and it, it, it had an un- unpleasant texture. <laughs> <laughs> it's all got an unpleasant texture. So, oh, well, uh, a cup of tea, though. Well, so, that, like, so I, I think we've, we've definitely thrown, thrown down the gauntlet there. But yeah, and then hopefully in part two of this, we'll return to the desserts of China. Which can, can that like? I mean, I, I mean, we, we've set the benchmark quite high here. I think. Sky whales? Question mark. <laughs> Magma dragons. Sky whales. Here we go. I got it off your website, so everyone's mocking me. But it's, no, it, it says it on your website. So. It's all real. Tell us about sky whales. So this idea about alien evolution and, and how we might be able to predict from the fundamentals of evolutionary biology and, and planetary science what, what what might life end up looking like if it's evolved for long periods of time in another world is that you might expect animal life to be pretty exotic in some respects, and in particular. On a super Earth, on a, on a planet that's more massive than our world, it'd have a stronger gravity, um, and it'd have a much thicker atmosphere around it. The, the gravity would pull its atmosphere much closer. So, if you're trying to fly on a super Earth, your weight would get much bigger, much heavier. It'd be more difficult to fly. But also at the same time, the thickness of the air around you would increase much more quickly. So your wings could generate lift much more easily. So it, it turns out, paradoxically, this would be easier to fly on a more massive planet not more difficult. So because like, the air is denser. Because the air is denser, so dense. wings can generate more lift off them. So the idea is that on a super-Earth, you might expect some really large things to be soaring over your head, wow. possibly even things the size of kind of elephants with, with a big pair of wings, so the so-called kind of sky whales. And they might never need to land. They might have a, a similar kind of ecology to the whales of our own oceans, mm. where they you kind of swoop through uh, clouds of sky plankton and kind of scoop it up in their mouth and, and kind of feed themselves that way. Have you ever been tempted to write science fiction stories based on your experience? Oh, I should probably get around to it. It'd be great. I mean, the great thing about this is a lot of this stuff has been predicted by science fiction writers oh, over, right, yeah. over, over decades. Yeah. Um, and the kind of science is starting to catch up now in terms of the astrobiology and the discoveries we're, we're making about life on Earth mm. and these places of discovering our own solar system or orbiting other stars. What some of the science fiction authors that you enjoy? It's the guys I'm reading and enjoying a lot at the moment um, people like Ken McLeod mm. um, Peter F. Hamilton does an incredible job of kind of space opera I do like Lord of the Rings length uh, books kind of trilogies um, where the, the kind of technology and the hardware um, and almost the kind of sociology and politics that we might start facing as a human species when we have empires across lots of different planets that's all really well visualised and imagined I suppose in, in terms of what science fiction authors have, have envisaged about extraterrestrial life, like I say, that the most interesting stories are about intelligent aliens, whereas what we're realistically going to be discovering first are going to be kind of bacterial stuff, and they tend to make really boring stories. Thanks very much for coming in. It's been a real pleasure and really interesting as well. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. So if all four of us say goodbye on three. Is that not gay? Yeah, do we do that? We don't right. have to. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. We can do it fairly straight. Goodbye. Goodbye.